Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dan Darling to the podcast. Dan is the director of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's a columnist for World Magazine and a contributor to USA Today, as well as a best-selling author of several books, including The Dignity Revolution, The Characters of Christmas, and Away with Words. He's also been a pastor serving churches in Illinois and Tennessee. Dan, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Hey, it's great to be with you, uh, Dr. Allen, and appreciative of uh, all the work you're doing there. No, you bet. A delight to be with you here and to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm just grateful for you. Of course, we've been friends over the years, and so it's sweet to have you on the podcast to have this conversation and just let our listeners get to know you a little bit better as well. So we're talking today about the pastor and social media and really building a conversation from your recent book, Away With Words. The subtitle, that is, Using our online conversations for good. That's a big topic there. We're going to get into it today uh, in a big way, I trust. But uh, before we do, give us an update on yourself, your ministry, your family, and uh, perhaps any foreshadowing of future writing projects as well. Thank you for that. Right now, I'm the director of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I'm also assistant professor for faith and culture there at Texas Baptist College. And as you mentioned, I write a column for World Magazine and I contribute to place at USA Today and others. Always working on a few book projects, you know, that uh, I have out there. My character series, Characters of Creation, Characters of Christmas, and Characters of Easter. My latest one being Way With Words, uh, talking about our the way that we interact online. Of course, I've got a few other projects in the, in the works to, as well. Well, what can you say about upcoming projects? Well, I do have a book on Christian unity with Zondervan that's coming out next summer, summer of 2023. So I'm really excited about that project. It's really imploring Christians to uh, learn, what, again, what it is to love brothers and sisters in Christ, whether things are worth fighting for, whether things that are not worth fighting for. And then uh, this fall, I actually have a children's book coming out with a friend of mine about human dignity and seeing people made in the image of God. So really excited about those two projects. Good for you. Hey, say a word about your family. Yeah, so I've been married for almost 20 years. November will be 20 years. Married a Texan. So now we're back in uh, her home environment, back in the, after years in exile. And I have four children. My oldest is 17, a 17-year-old daughter. I have a three-year-old son. And I have a 12-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old daughter. So we have a really fun and full house, two teens and two preteens. A lot of fun. And the Lord's been good to us. Oh, that's great. I'm delighted to hear that. Well, Dan, let's get into the topic today. And again, I just want to begin by teeing you up to talk about why you wrote the book. And uh, we all can speculate and probably be pretty accurate with our speculations. <laughs> but I would like to hear it from the, uh, the mouth of the author himself. Well, there's a couple of reasons. I think, number one, I've always loved words. You know, I've always been someone who has been in and around words. I was a kid that was like going to the end of the driveway to go get the newspaper every day when it was delivered and reading voraciously. But I've always loved not only reading words, but shaping words. Ever since I was in middle school, my, I had a teacher that told me and said, hey, you know, I think you got some talent here. I think you should consider writing, you know, when you're middle school and you're kind of a awkward kid and not the jock that everyone else is. You find something that you're good at and you kind of run with it. So I've been really working with words most of my life, whether it's preaching and writing manuscripts and, and preaching to God's people or uh, writing columns and articles, working in, in communication and all, all sorts of things. I've always loved words. And 
The second part of that is I think we live in this time where it's never been easier to express ourselves, whether it's through social media, through sending emails, through text. Uh, there's never, it's never been easier to express ourselves. And I think Christians have to, we have to ask ourselves as we live in this digital age, what does it look like to be faithful to Christ with our words? The Bible has a lot to say about the shape of our words. You know, first of all, we have a God who speaks, uh, who's not silent. And those of us, you know, humans that are created in his image, his image bearers, we also have been given a, u- a unique ability to communicate. What does it look like to uh, steward our words uh, in this moment when it's never been easier to express ourselves? I think those are the kind of the questions I really was wrestling with and wanted to write about. So let's focus in then especially on social media, the topic of our conversation today. And of course, you deal with that in your book as well. Perhaps even before we get into like your book and, and, and how you would give specific words of instruction and encouragement along those lines, give us a sense as to what you see. Like, where are we in the social media life cycle? We're in this conversation late August 2022. Facebook's been around now over 15 years. Twitter now nearly as long, kind of what, 2008-ish, yeah. it really came into its own. Give us a sense as to where we are in the social media life cycle. We're obviously clearly in an age where social media is a, a sort of regular part of our, our existence. You know, our kids are growing up in an age where they, that's all they've ever known, that social media exists, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or any of the new mediums, Be Real, some of these other ones that I don't even know how to use yet. This is kind of the, the, the reality that we're in. I, and I think there's a lot of conversation about the effects of it. I think for about a decade or more, we sort of viewed all of this stuff as an unqualified good. You know, the the age of the internet was supposed to bring people together. Social media was supposed to bring people together. And now I think in the last five, six, seven years, the tide has really turned on big tech in terms of a lot of folks are, are just questioning and wondering, is this good for us? There's been multiple studies about the effect on teenagers for instance, and how, you know, increased isolation, increased uh, access to screens has stunted their growth, made them less social. And so there's a lot of conversation, even in society, you know, beyond the church, just in secular society about, is this good for us? So as Christians, I think we have to really wrestle with it. I mean, on the one hand, you know, Christians are not anti-technology because the active technology is really active subduing the earth and of fulfilling the creation mandate of taking the raw materials that God has given us and creating something. At the same time, we understand we're in a fallen world. And so innovation and technology can be used for fallen means. It can be warped. And we know that besides just being a neutral actor, sometimes as Marshall McLuhan said, the medium is the message. And so we should not just be asking ourselves, what are we doing with technology? But we should be asking, what is technology doing with us? And so we have to really wrestle with this. This is the age we live in. As I tell people, we're, we're not going back to the 1950s. We're not, not all suddenly going to become Amish. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we be faithful in this moment with what we've been given? Yeah. So the analogy that comes to mind for me and that I've used over the years is I, I think that one day, like the next generation, will look at this generation and view social media and the smartphone, period. Kind of like many of us in, in our generation, you and I, Dan, are about the same age, look back on the previous generation as to how 
the television was used. And so, for instance, for me, I grew up in a, in a happy family, no parental critiques here. But just generationally looking back as a kid in the 80s, the television was just ubiquitous. Uh, multiple rooms in the house, television in my bedroom, cable TV, and it was just like on all the time. And we, you know, we had basic cables mm-hmm. that wasn't, you know, profoundly risque things coming through. But it was just like a, a major part of my life, much, much, mm-hmm. many, many multiples more than it is of my life now or it is my kid's life now. I think many of us kind of look back and say, wow, that was just way way too invasive, way too ubiquitous in our lives. And we look back 20 years ago and, and kind of think, man, a, a critical eye would, would really say that was, that was just way over the top. And I wonder now if, you know, you and I, when we're, let's say when we're 60 or so, if the Lord enables us to live that long, if we look back on this season and see our neighbors, church members, our families, perhaps even ourselves, and say, like, what were you thinking 20 years ago? Why was your phone so ever-present with you? Why were you scrolling social media minutes a day, perhaps hours a day, many people do, while you were missing out on so many other essential aspects of life and ministry? That's a, that's a great analogy. Some people have actually compared it not to uh, television like you have done, and I, and I think that's a really apt analogy. Some have compared it to like tobacco, the way that tobacco and smoking was ubiquitous, say, in the 60s and 70s, and now we looked at it, and, and mostly shameful ways, particularly cigarette smoking. I don't know if it'll be quite like that. I think it'll be more like your television analogy where, you know, the narrative now is so much not, hey, here's the cool things we could do with this, but what is it doing to us and how do we limit it with our kids? I think the generation that just gave their kids free access to the smartphone all day is really going to go away. I think next generations are going to be much more limiting. But I do think for Christians, for pastors and Christians, we not only have to think through the perils of, of it, but we have to just say, what does faithfulness look like for me and my calling, not only with social media, but with the internet and in the digital age? And how are we stewarding this moment well? And it's not just a question of how we communicate and how we come across, but also our accumulation of knowledge. The fact that uh, we have in our phone this sort of seemingly unlimited access to information, how is that shaping us? How is it shaping reading patterns and reading habits? And is there a, a faithful way to handle that and an unfaithful way to do that? Uh, I think when it comes to, particularly to pastors and social media, I do think, and really Christian leaders of any type, we have to really understand that what we are saying and what we are doing, we're doing in public. If the website is the front door, the new front door of the church, so is the pastor's social media account. And a pastor who doesn't behave well online, who's, who uses crude speech, who is always sort of putting people down, always getting in unnecessary arguments, he's sending a signal to potential people visiting their church that this is the kind of leadership he provides. And sometimes I think Christian leaders sort of forget that we're in public, right? So, you know, let's say you only have 100 followers, which is pretty easy to do, or 100 friends on Facebook. Well, imagine being in a room with 100 people and you're given the microphone. How would you act? What would you say? Now imagine you have 1,000 followers. That's a pretty big auditorium or 5,000 or 10,000. You're talking minor league ballpark. Some people have 100,000 followers. That's like the Rose Bowl. And so what you say in public matters. And with leaders, particularly Christian leaders, I think this is where James 3 really is instructive. Because James 3 says, being a, a Christian leader has a, has a sober weight. And then it talks all about our words. And I think what the Bible is saying is that a leader's words matter. And I think this matters online. So what we do in moderation, our followers will do in excess. 
the we are giving people by the way we speak a sort of permission structure for how to behave. And so I think those are the things we have to think through for Christians in social media. And then I think we have to think through this idea of always being in the know that we always have to be on top of everything. You know, the Bible talks about two kinds of accumulation of wisdom and knowledge. One is a kind of earnest pursuit of wisdom and knowledge that Proverbs recommends and most of the Bible throughout the Bible recommends, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The idea that I don't know things, I need to learn and grow and be curious about God and his world. But there's also a kind of junk food information that Paul talks about, about being a busybody. And I think we have to decide for ourselves when we're online, when we get those alerts on our phone, when we're scrolling Twitter, am I, am I doing a pursuit of knowledge in order to be edifying to myself? Or is this kind of like junk food information? Is this, is this sort of a pursuit of information that's not helpful? So those are some things I think we need to think about. Yeah, no, it's very helpful. And I love how you dimensioned it as far as, you know, minor league baseball stadium, Rose Bowl, and so forth. And uh, the way I've sought to use social media over the years, especially the last few years when this analogy really crystallized my mind is, okay, to view the online followers like a church I'm pastoring. I know that analogy breaks down. I know that. I know that. I know that. But I mean, for me to attitudinally view them that way, I mean, would I be snarky with my church? Uh, Would I scold my church? Would I uh, mislead my church? Would I, you know, cleverly phrase things in such a way to, uh, to slant the truth to my? Well, the answer is, should be and is emphatically no to all those. But it helps to humanize the followers. It helps to put, put lives and souls and hearts behind the followers. I think many people, it's just all been like collectively objectified where these aren't real people. These are just like accounts. And, mm. uh, and you know, we know from research that uh, controversy generates activity, which generates followers, and then the algorithm chimes in. And so people calculate, work through how to generate controversy in order to generate activity, in order to grow followers, in order for the algorithm to tip their way and draw more attention to their tweets. And so, look, it is a, um, it's a tough terrain, but it's also, in many ways, a deadly terrain, at least spiritually speaking. It really is. And, and one of the things I want to say is, I do think Christians should be engaged in digital spaces. Now, every, every Christian has to decide, you know, what's their calling? How engaged should I be? What are the kinds of things I speak up on publicly? What does it look like for me? And it looks different for every person, depending on where God is called. But I do think Christians should be involved here because these are where a lot of the conversations are taking place. But the question is, you know, can we do this with a distinctly Christian approach that we're not identified as Christians merely by the positions we take, of course, but also by the, the shape of our speech and the way we, the way we talk. Uh, I think that's incredibly important. And even though the algorithms seem to reward dissension and division and you know, virtue signaling and all those sort of negative behaviors, we don't have to be a slave to the algorithm. You know, we, can, we can be countercultural and we can say, I'm not going to play this game or I'm, I'm not going to participate in that. But I do think we need to be engaged here because, you know, if you're a pastor or Christian leader, sometimes it's good for you to be online to kind of see what your people are thinking. You know, you might scroll through Facebook and go to get a good indication of where your people are on, on certain things to help you think through how to shepherd them well. But it's also important, I think, to understand that the digital life is not all of life. That, as people say, Twitter's not real life, Facebook's not real. It's a snapshot for sure. But people are more than the sum of their opinions. That person with a really bad idea 
or the person with an article you disagree with or the person who posts something that you don't like. That's not all they are. They're full people made in the image of God. We tend to reduce people down to their, their ideas and their bad, the bad things. And sometimes we forget that we're not just arguing with avatars and pixels. We're arguing with, with actual people. And so I think as best we can to try to humanize the people we're interacting with. And I think really have good offline community. One of the things I tell people is that the quality of your offline life determines the quality of your online life. In other words, if you are in community, embodied community, in a local church, in a small group, with good friends, with good spiritual disciplines, that'll temper and, and help your online life. But if you're not, it's easy to sort of descend in some of those behaviors. And in fact, one of the things I will say is whenever I see someone behaving really kind of irrationally online over a long period of time, I start to wonder and ask myself, is there something else going on here? Is there something going on offline that we're not aware of that this sort of online behavior is a mask for or kind of a, a fig leaf to, to cover? That's a good way of putting it. And look, it, it reminds me of the old assessment that hurt people hurt people. Mm. And, you know, mm. again, the actually of that one could one could argue over there. But I do know oftentimes online, especially on social media, when I know kind of the facts behind the person or the post or, you know, the, the uh, behavior, they've been wounded by someone else. They're bitter about something else. They've been offended by someone else. You know, something has happened and that often kind of then begins to show up in how they therefore act towards other people, engage other people. That's dangerous, too. I mean, we are not to use our followers mm. as a venue to vent or a venue to respond. Mm. And so, look, it, it, it is a gnarly setting. And again, pastors listening to this podcast, a part of this conversation is to help them think clearly as to what they project, what they say, how they say it. Also, how to kind of shepherd their people and how to encourage them to communicate in these contexts and through these mediums, but also trying to encourage pastors who are on the receiving end of the snark, mm. of, the, of the innuendo, of the accusation. What would you say to them, not just how they should conduct themselves, but, but how they should you know, ready themselves and how they should view these things that come their way? That's such a great question because, I mean, one of the things I've, I'm talking to Christian leaders probably a couple times a week who are, you know, how do you handle this when people say things about you or spread lies about you? You've had this done to you. I've had this done to me. You know, anybody that's in a public position of any kind, whether they're writing articles or books or pastoring a church or leading a seminary or doing anything, there's going to be a group that is going to try to say things about you that aren't true. And I think you have to really do a few things. I think number one, you have to separate people who are operating in good faith and people who are not. You know, there are people who have genuine questions, genuine criticisms. I think we should be open-handed, you know, particularly if you put out an idea and someone interacts with it and disagrees with it. I don't think we should be defensive about that. At the same time, there's a lot of people who are in bad faith who will spread lies and mistruth. Some, some of these people bear the name of Christ, unfortunately, and ignore all the scriptural admonitions to, to honesty and truth. I think you, you can't let people like that get into your head. I think you can't let them drive your behavior and drive your policy and drive the way you act. I don't think you can ignore criticism, but I, I don't think you have to be driven by groups of people who really just want to um, draw attention to themselves. And in fact, one of the things that people who are constant like trolls or in bad faith, one of the things they love is attention. But the more attention 
you give them, particularly if you have some kind of platform, you're giving them what they want. And so I think it's best to just not engage in some of those things. And also just be realistic to know that this is not real life. Probably most of the people in your church don't understand and aren't engaged with and don't know what's going on with the last, you know, 10, 15 controversies that happened online. I think that's one thing to think about. I think another thing to think about is for us as Christians, you know, what are we posting? What are we saying? Is it truth? Is it really true? Is it half truth? Is it something that I, I want to be true because it says something bad about someone I disagree with? I'm willing to sort of take shortcuts. Are we willing to practice James 119 and say, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speech, slow to anger? Are we willing to be smart about that, about the way we talk about others? Well, Dan, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you for the conversation today. And thank you especially for the book, Away With Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good, out with B&H Publishers. Dan, I appreciate your friendship and uh, your ministry and wish you God's best here in the season ahead. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be on with you. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.